0: Sonia created the Love the Word Bible study method just for you, based on Mary's personal practice and formulated for your personality and temperament. Get your Love the Word meditations every Monday morning by signing up at biblestudyevangelista.com. Now, here's Sonia. If you like having Bible study in your pocket and you have an iPhone or iPad, why not leave a review? Search Bible Study Evangelista in iTunes and tell everyone how you're loving and lifting all you've been given. Here's Sonia. Welcome to the Sacred Healing Podcast. I'm Sonya Corbett, your Catholic Evangelista. We're talking about the what of Scripture today. Last week we talked about the who, the who of Scripture is God and his people, the Israelites, those who wrestle with God. The what of scripture. And we're talking about scripture through my book with Deacon Harold Burke Sivers, Ignite. Read the Bible like never before. And we're talking about it because there is nothing like the power of the one table of the Lord to heal So the one table, according to the catechism in 103, is both the scriptures and the Eucharist. And that is why our mass is separated into those two parts. And most of us Catholics were really good on the Eucharist part. And we're learning how to be better on the scripture part. And in fact, it was kind of interesting this week in the readings. I had, I think, fallen into a trap that many of us fall into where we sort of look at our lives and we wonder, am I doing enough? Am I doing the right things? Am I doing what I should be doing? And the readings really comforted me in that way because Jesus quotes Deuteronomy when he says, that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of the Lord. And I just felt this very comforting affirmation from the Holy Spirit, Sonia, you hang on my word every single morning, every week, every day, all the, the studying and stuff that I do. And it was very comforting to me because I realized, yeah, okay, so I am attentive. It's just different, I think. I think each of us probably has a focus that might be a little bit different. And I, what I have found, especially in teaching about spiritual gifts is that one of the (laughs) traps we fall into sometimes is looking around us at other people's gifts or other people's relationship perhaps with God and we may feel a little bit of jealousy or we may feel like we're not doing enough or we're not doing the right things when ultimately God loves diversity. He loves differentness and we don't like different, differentness. We look at other people and and we think that because they're not as focused on the things that we are, that they're not doing what they're supposed to be doing. And I used to fall into that quite a bit when I first started studying the scriptures, because it, it, I didn't realize at the time that it's clearly a spiritual gift. And so when you're operating in a spiritual gift and you, you, you get so much out of using the gift and employing it for other people, it sometimes gives you this idea that absolutely everybody should be doing everything that you're doing. And that's just not the case. We're all different. So anyway, I sort of fell into that kind of trap in prayer last week, or this week, and it was just a very sweet acknowledgement that the Holy Spirit, he just pointed out, you know, you hang on my every word. And so I don't, I don't know. It it was almost presented to me as sort of a a lover's relationship where when you're in love, you do, you hang on every single word from the other person. And I just, I I felt that so sweetly and so strongly. And that came out of the readings. (laughs) And so I, you know, I, I, I do harp, on the scriptures and the necessity of the scriptures, but only because the Bible does so and the church does so. The liturgy shows us that it's so. It just is. We need that steady diet daily of the scriptures. And so we've been talking, we spoke about in the very first show, we talked about having that daily time in the scriptures through the daily readings. And now we're looking at how to study how to get a really good map for reading and studying the bible. And what I love about this so much right now is that the monthly friends of the show we're doing the study on the gospel of John and it's really dovetailing so beautifully. I'm I'll be talking about that quite a bit later on in the show, but when we're talking about the what of scripture, what is it? What it's a what is it about? and it's really important that we approach the bible knowing that it's not a literature book although it contains the most sublime literature you will probably ever read in your entire life it it excels any of the poets any of the philosophers any of the the beautiful literary artists and geniuses and it does so in part because The Bible is a library. It's written by so many different authors in so many different genres over so many thousands of years even that it's a miracle that compiled all together in a single book that we call the Bible that the message of the what of the Bible is so consistent. It really is one message. And you hear sometimes people say that the Bible is a love letter from God, and it truly is, because although the Bible is full of beautiful literature, as we're seeing in the Gospel of John, I mean, just that book could be taught in any university, any secular university, simply from a literary point of view, literary criticism, which we we are doing some of that in our study of that gospel. But the Bible itself is the best-selling book of all time, all time five over five billion copies since the printing press. I mean, you know, not that we could count that far back because I don't think people kept records. But just over the the past several like a hundred years, what's fascinating is it that five billion is five times more than the next bestseller, which is the Koran, which has sold. 80, uh, I'm sorry, 800 million. And then if we're talking about secular books, then the secular book that has sold the most would be um, Harry Potter, and then the Lord of the Rings series. Isn't that fascinating? I just find that so fascinating. But it's not a book of literature. That's my point. Although it contains beautiful literature, and we can approach it in that way. It's not primarily a book of literature, nor is it a book of history. It doesn't talk about the major civilizations, Samaria, Egypt, Babylonia, Persia, Greece, Rome. It doesn't talk about those civilizations except as they relate to God's people. So we don't get this thing, this whole political writing or uh, philosophical writing or, or mythology. We don't get any of that history on these major civilizations throughout human history. Instead, what we get is the history of God's people. History meaning his story. The story of God and his people, the Israelites, those who wrestle with him. The word Israel, the name Israel, remember, came from Jacob when his name was changed. And he wrestles with God. And from that point forward, all of the Israelites, they are those who wrestle with God. And because they are our older brothers and sisters in faith, those Old Testament Israelites are also our ancestors in the spiritual realm. So it's not a history book, although it does contain some allusions to history and those civilizations, but only as they relate to God's people. And it's not a science book. This got the the church in trouble, Uh, especially with Newton, if you remember that controversy, where particularly there are so many places in the scriptures that talk about the four corners of the earth. And so when Newton said that the earth was round and that that the earth revolved around the sun rather than everything revolving around the earth, and then this idea of the earth having four corners rather than being a sphere— it got the church in trouble because, you know, she was trying to stand on some sort of scientific basis based on what the Bible itself says. And yet the Bible is not a science book. It's not a book about sociology or geology or anthropology or psychology or cosmology. It has some of those things in it, but only as they relate to God and his people and the the origins of things, which we saw in Genesis, and then the establishment of God's people, and what what a people needs to establish itself and organize itself, and the history then through the book of Numbers, and then Deuteronomy, and, and on and on. I, I talked about that last week, so I won't go back into it. But my point is, the Bible is not a book of literature. It's not primarily a book of history. It's not primarily a book of science. It is a book of salvation. The Bible is a book of salvation. That is its message. Ultimately, it is a book of love because salvation comes from the love of God. Salvation, you know, that's a that's a term we're going to need to unpack that term because I grew up thinking about salvation as being whatever happens after death, you know, eternal life of some sort. And yet the Bible is clear that salvation is past, present, and future, which is why it's so important to know that God says His name is I Am. What is past, what is present, what is future is all in Him who is timeless. He exists in a single moment, the Catechism says, an eternal moment. And so when we talk about salvation— It's not like a prayer that you say, this prayer of salvation that I grew up hearing about. You're listening to the Bible Study Evangelista Show, Bible study spirits that taste like cake. Let's get social. I'm no longer on Facebook, so come and connect with me in the new Catholic Evangelista community. Visit BibleStudyEvangelista.com and click Community on the menu, or scroll down to the radio notes and click the link to our community. We're sharing pics and prayers, love the word takeaways and insights on the daily readings, and everything else social. Come share with me. Did you know you can get Bible Study Evangelista radio notes and podcasts delivered to your inbox every Monday morning? Redeem your Mondays. Join thousands of your fellow listeners by subscribing at BibleStudyEvangelista.com. Now, here's Sonia. It's not primarily a book of literature, not primarily a book of history, not primarily a book of science. Instead, it is sacred literature. It is a religious book. And it's actually, the Bible itself says that it's divinely inspired. So although there are many genres and there are many authors and they do span hundreds and even thousands of years, the book itself, the Bible, the books of the Bible are divinely inspired. And that is an idea, actually, that's important to sort of know. The Bible itself says God breathed, and it comes from that Holy Spirit, the breath or the pneuma idea. It's breathed so that God himself guided the authors who wrote the books of the Bible. So they they use their normal personalities and their temperaments and their their skills in writing or even lack of, in some cases, perhaps, I mean, the gospels were written by fishermen, right? I mean, they they weren't scholars of any sort. And yet the Holy Spirit moved them to write what he wanted and nothing more. So everything the Holy Spirit wanted included in the books of the Bible, and then altogether compiled into the Bible itself, the whole book, all of that, is inspired by the Holy Spirit. And it's also inerrant, meaning there's no error, and that has to be properly understood. So the Bible always teaches truth and never error. One of our Vatican II documents, De Verboom, it's one of my favorites, actually, because it's, it's about the Word of God. It says, Since, therefore, all that the inspired authors or sacred writers affirm should be regarded as affirmed by the Holy Spirit, We must acknowledge that the books of Scripture firmly, faithfully, and without error teach that truth which God, for the sake of our salvation, wished to see confided to the sacred Scriptures. That's in uh, day Verboom number 11. And, and in 9, it says, Sacred Scripture is the speech of God as it is put down in writing under the breath of the Holy Spirit. And tradition transmits in its entirety the Word of God, which has been entrusted to the apostles by Christ the Lord and the Holy Spirit. And if we're going to be specific here, the, the tra- I'm sorry, the Word of God <laughs> is both written and oral. We have teaching from Paul that talks about, uh, in 2 Thessalonians 2.15, St. Paul is reminding the Thessalonian believers that they must hold fast to the traditions that the apostles passed down either in writing or by word of mouth. He says, So then, brethren, stand firm and hold to the traditions which you were taught by us, either by word of mouth or by letter. The word of mouth is the oral tradition of the apostles, and the letter is the written scripture. Those two things, sacred scripture and sacred tradition, form one source from which the word of God comes to us. And as you can see, the Bible itself says that. St. Paul says it. Therefore, Christian faith is not a religion of the book. Instead, it's a religion of the Word of God. And the Word of God is a person, Jesus Christ, and he gives himself to us in the one table of the scriptures and the Eucharist. Bible is the way we come to know who our healer is, Jesus and so St. Jerome said that ignorance of Scripture is ignorance of Christ. So if you want to feel at home in his kingdom, then the Bible reveals that. And it does so inerrantly and through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. If you want to understand whom you're receiving in Holy Communion, then you've got to understand how God was preparing his people for centuries before he finally gave us the bread of life in the Eucharist. So we come to know Christ through the Bible, And the Bible is sacred literature because God is its author. It's written in human language through the literary techniques that the authors used to express what they were trying to express, their meaning. So we need to study and read the Bible with some knowledge of those literary techniques. And that's part of why it's important to know the genres. We also really need to keep in mind that the Bible is ancient, literature. (laughs) It's not primarily literature, right? But it it is sacred literature. It is a religious book. So we have to know that even the most recent books of the New Testament were still written almost 2,000 years ago. And they did not write the same way that modern authors write. And to understand what they mean to say, we have to understand how they saw the world. The Catechism tells us in 109, in sacred scripture, God speaks to man in a human way. To interpret scripture correctly, the reader must be attentive to what the human authors truly wanted to affirm and what God wanted to reveal to us by their words. In 110, it says, In order to discover the sacred author's intention, the reader must take into account the conditions of their time and culture, the literary genres in use at the time, and the modes of feeling, speaking, and narrating that were then current. For the fact is that truth is differently presented and expressed in the various types of historical writing and in other forms of literary expression. So, again, while the Bible is beautiful, sacred literature, that's not its primary intent. The intent of the Holy Spirit is salvation. He is explaining to us how to be saved and what it means to be saved. And this is why the Bible is called the good news, particularly what's in the New Testament, the good news of Christ or the Messiah. And all of that good news, all of that salvation was begun in the Old Testament through God's people and continues even today throughout history. So we can see salvation history as this story of God's love. And we'll look at a timeline of sacred history in the when of the Bible. I won't do that today. But when we're talking about the what, and we're talking about salvation, the word salvation comes from the, the word shalom for peace out of the Hebrew. And it is a really, really full word. It means wholeness. It means peace. It means rescue or deliverance. And what we find is, in tracing the story of God's people from the Old Testament to the New, is this thread of love, this thread of salvation, this thread of healing, this thread of rescue. And in the Old Testament, we see that that was mostly outward. And in the New Testament, it becomes most, well, not mostly, but it includes the outward and the inward. It goes more deeply into the human person rather than just what is on the outside, the behavior right and so ultimately salvation is the full deliverance from the power of tyranny the tyranny of sin and the tyranny of well anything physically emotionally mentally and spiritually total and complete deliverance from the power of sin full redemption that's what salvation means and ultimately it is a healing word It is the fullness of the integrity of the human person, completely restored, and not just restored to what it was in the garden, but elevated even higher than what Adam and Eve experienced there. Now, the two divisions of the the Bible itself give us a clue as to the what of it. The Old Testament and the New Testament, or the Old Covenant— and the new covenant. I love what Scott Hans teaches about covenants. We often think of the word testament as like a contract, a last will and testament, and it has this legal sort of feel. But the word covenant is much different. It is an exchange of persons. I give myself to you, you give yourself to me. And so God created all that was created and he gave himself to it, including man, man, And he expects man to give himself back to God. And in the Old Covenant, we see how that was supposed to take place. In the New Covenant, things have been fulfilled in Christ, and now it's changing somewhat. But you can see by the terms Old and New Covenant and Old and New Testament, this idea of self-donation. So that God is giving mankind, you, a full and complete self-donation. And he's teaching us through the Ark of the Bible that it is his love that rescues us, that heals us, that saves us. And that is good news. The good news of salvation is that it happened in the past, it is happening now, and it will happen in the future when it is fully complete. Body, soul, mind, and heart, which is the first and primary commandment. You will love the Lord God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. And of course, that is the basis for sacred healing, 1230. Out of Mark chapter 12, verse 30. Love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And how in the world are we going to know how to do that unless we're reading and studying the Bible? Because that is what teaches us and shows us who God is and what he does, his purposes, his ways and his love for you specifically. And he does that through seven covenants that span the entire Bible, both the old covenant and the new covenant. Together there there is a series of seven covenants that God in through which God gives himself to people and he calls them to give themselves to him. So covenant history then is salvation history. And that story of love is the what of Bible. You're listening to the Bible Study Evangelista Show. Bible study spares that taste like cake. Losing it more often or lost yourself entirely? Binging on food, alcohol, or your phone? Feeling exhausted, anxious, angry, scared? You've done all the novenas, all the consecrations, adoration, daily mass, Bible study, therapy, and deliverance prayers. Why has none of it given you permanent relief? Does God not care? He does care. But you can't feel it because you need to be cherished. You need to be healed. In Sacred Healing 1230, I teach you how to live authentically from the holistic love of God in the power of Mark 1230, heart, soul, mind, and strength. I teach you how to be cherished. I teach you how to guard your peace. I teach you how to love authentically. I teach you how to heal deeply. I teach you how to feel better because you can only love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. If they are healing and whole in Him, the love you were made for is only a mouse click away. Go to BibleStudyEvangelista.com to stop the emotional vomit and start experiencing the miracle of living authentically from the healing love of God in your heart, soul, mind, and body. about salvation history that's different from other kinds of history is that it deals not only with the past, but also the future. God's Word has been revealed to us, and because of that, we know how the plan of salvation will keep working until the end of time. One good way of looking at salvation history is to see it as a series of covenants between God and His people. And what I love about this view is that it is a a way of viewing the entire Bible from beginning to end through a, a type of map, we'll say. So the covenants themselves are a type of map for how to read the Bible. They're one of them. The tabernacle, I believe, is another, which is why I wrote the book Fulfilled, uh, to show that creation was a tabernacle, And the new creation will be a tabernacle. And in between, there are lots of different little tabernacles. And so God's desire was to dwell with his people. It was that way from the very beginning. He showed that through creation. But he did the same thing through this idea of covenants. I'll talk about the tabernacle when we get to the how of the Bible. So I want to just look at covenants today because these seven covenants tell us salvation history. They give us a, a really good sort of map through the Bible and this message of love from God. There are seven of them in the scriptures, and the number of seven is itself symbolic of covenant completeness. So it's especially appropriate, the number seven, when you hear that, the number seven, you should think of completeness, of divinity, and covenant. So a covenant then is made through a mediator, and it reflects a promise that God makes to all of humanity. And each, each covenant embraces the ones that went before it. So the first covenant we see is the covenant with, with Adam and Eve at creation. The name Adam is is also used to refer to the whole human race. So this first covenant is really the one from which all of the others spring. And that that covenant occurred between God and Adam. And the sign of that covenant, the covenants always have a sign too. And that, that sign of the covenant was the Sabbath. Lots I can say on that, but suffice it to say that when we keep Sabbath properly, when we keep our Sunday properly through both worship and rest, we are keeping this covenant that God made with Adam, with all of humanity. We work on six days, we rest on the seventh. Why? Because we're not only giving our bodies and our minds and our spirits and our hearts the rest that they need from the work of the week, and we're consecrating the time and the work of the week, but we're also looking forward to that final Sabbath rest, that final and seventh covenant, which I'll get to in a moment. So it's both past and present and future. See how that sort of span of salvation history works? So that was the first covenant. The second covenant is with Noah and his household after the flood. And that, of course, was made with Noah with a family. So we went from Adam, which is a marriage that that relationship was between Adam. Uh, God and Adam and Eve. The covenant was made with Adam, but it included Eve. So the first human beings, right? And that was a marriage relationship. And now we're expanding to a family. Noah is a father, whereas Adam was a husband. Noah is a father. He has a family. And so this next covenant, the second covenant, embraces both the marriage, the man and woman, but also now the whole household, the family. And the sign of that covenant was the rainbow. Then we move to a tribe. We've gone from a marriage to a family to a tribe. And that that third covenant is with Abraham and his whole tribe. And that would have been extended family and that kind of thing. And the sign of that covenant that God made with Abraham was through circumcision. The circumcision was the sign of that covenant. The fourth covenant is with the nation, the nation of Israel through Moses. And we'll talk about that quite a bit more in just a few minutes. But God made a covenant with Moses, and then the people became a nation. So we've gone from a marriage to a family to a tribe, now to a nation. And Moses is a prophet. He's a judge. And the sign of that covenant is the Passover, So they keep this Passover as a sign of the covenant between God and his people, whom he rescued from Egypt. The fifth covenant is with David through Solomon and David, and that's with the whole kingdom. So we've gone from a marriage to a family, to a tribe, to a nation, and now to a kingdom. The kingdom, the promise, the covenant that God made with David is that there would be always a king from David's line on the throne forever. So the sign then of that covenant with David is the throne. And that that comes to us through David's son, Solomon. And then, of course, through Christ, who is the Davidic king, right? And that leads us to the sixth covenant, this new covenant through Jesus that encompasses the entire world, the universe, we could say, but all people. And so Jesus is a high priest and the sign of that covenant, Jesus says, this is my body. This is my blood. And so the covenant sign is the Eucharist. So you can see that God's love then encompasses first a marriage, then a family, then a tribe, then a nation, then a kingdom, and then the entire world, all of the peoples of the world, not just the Jews, but now also the Gentiles, all people. The seventh covenant is for the end of time, and that is for all eternity, and there will be a renewal of all things. So, you can see that God's salvation, His love, His healing, begins with individuals, relationships, marriages, then families, then tribes, then nations, then kingdoms, and then the whole world. Everything is swept up into this cosmic love of God, everyone and everything. And at the renewal of all things in that seventh covenant, the whole earth will be renewed. It will be purified. Now, the good news of all of this is that there is nothing that God is not interested in renewing and healing and saving. Everything is under that purview. Everything in your life, all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength, everything is wrapped up in this word salvation, this good news that Jesus has come and won for us with finality, the rescue, the redemption, the salvation, the healing of all things. Now, I know that a lot of what I talk about when I talk about healing, it seems like this big pie in the sky thing, but that's exactly what the Pharisees thought too. We are we don't risk enough. We don't we don't believe enough for what God wants to do in us and in our lives, in our relationships, in our bodies, in our minds and our souls. Everything is subject to God in Christ or to Christ and God, I, I should say. Everything. Everything is touched by his love. Everything is subject to his will. Every And his will is that full and complete salvation. Everything is wrapped up in that. See, here's the thing, though. We, we don't, first of all, we don't know God and his ways. We don't know how he works with his people because we don't know the scriptures well enough. That's the first thing. But secondly, even when we see in the scriptures... What God does and the lengths that he goes to to save his people, we still don't believe it's for us. There is some sort of—and and sure, it's sin, and the veil, we could say, of sin, which is partly woundedness and partly concupiscence, which is that big church word for original sin, right? But in baptism, that original sin is removed. We have the promise and the guarantee of our full and total salvation and it begins now Jesus said the kingdom of God is in you so that your healing and your salvation begins now and just like those covenants it it starts to overtake everything in the love of God so that little by little precept upon precept line upon line the bible says in the prophets We learn how God loves us, heart, soul, mind, and strength. And as we learn that, and as we begin to trust it and believe in it and walk in that love, we begin to love him, heart, soul, mind, and strength. And that's exactly why Sacred Healing 1230 is under that umbrella of that primary commandment. Jesus doesn't say things for nothing. He, he commands that as the primary commandment because that's what's necessary for our healing. But we have to learn it, don't we? We have to unlearn inauthentic love and learn what authentic love is because only love heals. Every wound and every sin is from a deficit of love. talking about loving God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength and how God loves us with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's a good time to just make an announcement that I am going to email those of you who have been through the masterclass and one-on-one consults to let you know, in case you don't already, that I'm beginning group calls to give you guys an opportunity for a little bit of one-on-one to help you work through any stuck spots regarding your pop quizzes and that kind of thing. Now, obviously, it's going to take place in a group. There are several hundred of you. I'll send you emails um, to just sort of give you the the general idea. But our first one will be tonight, actually, tonight on the community platform. And there's a link to the community in the show notes in case you want to uh, join us in, in community that way. But Tonight, I'm going to be doing these once a month. So there'll be one week will be a meeting, a group call for the master class participants. And then a, the next week will be a group call for the consult participants. And then, of course, the next week we have the John study. So I'm just trying to give you a little bit of one on one help so that you're able to continue in your own healing with with God so that you can see how he uses those those pop quizzes, how he works through your circumstances and your relationships and his learning his purposes and ways. And that's exactly why it's so important to know and study the Bible that that's what I operate from when through the whole content of the masterclass and also in the consults. I know God's ways because I've learned them through the scriptures and through the the writings of the saints and the doctors of prayer and the doctors of the church and the, the tradition of the church, the word of God through the church. I'm not saying I know everything. I'm just saying that I have experienced a great measure of healing in every single one of those areas. And so, anyway, I just wanted to tell you about those group calls. We're going to have that very first one uh, tonight. But they'll be every month in the community under that group, the master class group, and then also the consultations group. And the events will be held there in those groups. Now, one of the reasons it's so important to know what the scriptures say and what they teach in a way of study and to know that the whole message, the what of the Bible is healing and salvation. Because once you do that, then whatever your issue is, you find scriptures that speak to that issue and you build your prayer around that. I saw it was a very succinct way of putting it. I, somebody on the, the community posted it, and I, I want to say it was Max Lucado or something, but somebody used that sentence. You build your prayer around the scriptures that speak to your issue. And and that is a way, I mean, some would call it, name it and claim it, but it, it's not so much that is praying God's word back to him in faith with anticipation of what he's going to do, knowing that it is his nature, To save, to heal, and fully heart, soul, mind, and strength. There is no issue that we can't take to Him and anticipate that He will do something. The thing is, though, we have to conform to His ways. He doesn't heal, He heals according to who He is. And if we don't know who He is, and what He's like, and what His ways are, then we can't expect to be healed because we're off doing our own thing. And that's why he gave us the revelation of the scriptures so that we could know him, could know his purposes and his ways, both for us individually, for our marriages, for our families, our tribe, our nation, our world, and our church. Everything is tending toward and moving toward the culmination of this full salvation in the final covenant. And so the what of Scripture is love. It's salvation. Anyone who stands on this absolute truth, this absolute confidence, absolute faith in salvation and healing, in the fullness of the human person, is often called charismatic. Well, that's just charismatic, right? The name it and claim it thing. But here's the truth. It requires faith because we can't see. We can't see the evidence right away. And of course, because we all labor under the punishment of sin, which ends in death, ultimately— It's not the the spiritual death, it's not the final death, but our bodies will die, right? And they they sort of wind down and they die. But that's a transition, a transition into that final complete healing that should have already begun here and, and can get very, very, very full and complete, and comprehensive, even while the body dies. Paul says this very beautifully in his writings. He talks about how the inward man is being renewed day by day, while the outward man, the body completes its course. But as I said in the Somata series and in the master class and just about everything anymore, I I always try to draw your attention to the prophets who are very clear that even in old age, God's people's physical stamina and physical um, vigor should proceed all the way up until the end so that there is a promise of a measure of health i could say now i'm obviously you know we've all of us we have terrible physical habits we don't eat it, eat well we have issues with things like heavy metals and additives in our food and all these other things right and so the final and full healing cannot happen until after death of course right that's the teaching of the church but we we place our anticipation Of God and our faith in Him and what He wants to do with us and in us and through us, we place it very, very low, way too low. And I think that this is part of why we don't see wonderful, beautiful healing and victory and And the fullness of life that Jesus promised, he said, I have come that they may have life. That word life is the salvation word. Shalom, good news, fullness, wholeness, peace. It's eternal life. It is a quality of life. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. We are not meant to live in This mud hole of misery and pain and slavery to addictions and every other thing and fear and anxiety. We are not meant to live that way. God's people, those who wrestle with him. We have the whole testimony of the entire Bible to show us that God made. We'll look at just Genesis. God made everything that he made for us for our good, for our enjoyment. And we fell into sin, and sin has entrapped us. And sometimes even that is a an outward kind of thing. For the people of God, it was literal slavery to the Egyptian pharaohs. And what we see is that God is not willing to allow his people to remain under tyranny. When they begin to cry out to him, when they begin to get a belly full of this tyranny, God has already prepared Moses to be the deliverer, the great prophet. God has already set the plan of salvation, the movement of that in motion. And the Exodus then becomes the the, the story and the template For every single Christian life, the book of Hebrews says, which is what my whole book, Just Rest, is about. This template for how God rescues us from tyranny and how he deposits us immediately in the desert. And he gives us this law so that we know the direction that we're supposed to go in, and we know what we're supposed to do and what we're not supposed to do so that we can live in the closest po- possible relationship to him. And then he gives us a, a way of worship. In the book of Leviticus, this worship manual and the tabernacle, the all of the tabernacle stuff, all of that was a way of ritualizing this relationship through their worship. So we see this sweeping story through the Old Testament. We see God rescues his people. He always does from that tyranny. For them, it was literal slavery. For us, it can also be that way in addictions and other things. But but also sin and death for us. That is the deeper work that Jesus came to accomplish for us because we couldn't do it ourselves. And the whole Bible shows us how God works in and through his people to continue that process of salvation throughout history, and how he's working that salvation in you individually so that you can be an instrument through which God works that salvation out in in your sphere of influence, in your family, in your tribe, in your nation, in your world. You can be that little circle of salvation, that little circle of peace that the person around you needs to see and sense God. And that is the message of the Bible. We see John the Apostle going through that very same process, showing us that there is a new creation in Christ. The first part of that gospel is a mirror almost of Genesis. And then we have this language of a new Moses, a new Exodus law, a new tabernacle, a new Passover, a new lamb, all of this newness, the new Adam, the new Eve, all of this, John is hearkening back to the stories of the Old Testament. He's drawing people into the newness of salvation that is occurring in the Messiah, in Christ, and he is showing those connections and he is inspiring in us. He says that he writes so that we know that we have salvation. And that, my dear, is the point of the entire Bible. The what of the Bible is salvation. It is God's love for you and for the entire world and all of the links that He will go to to make sure that we can and will be saved. Thank you for listening to the Bible Study Evangelista Show. Find out more at BibleStudyEvangelista.com